to me, a ruler, there's several different rulers. There's one that my teacher used to hit you with in school. There's the, there's the ruler of the synagogue. There's actually a guy in the scripture referred to as the ruler of the synagogue in the book of Acts named Sosthenes. I think that was his name. And the synagogue rulers were always wealthy. Or he could be a political ruler of some kind. I don't know what he was. It just simply says he was ruler. I question that he was a politician. I think it's some of the other era because it would have said the crooked young ruler. And, and he wasn't crooked. He was really a pretty nice fella. So that, that's a question that I had. And, and he comes to Jesus with a question. Now, before you get to that question, it's important that you understand the circumstances where it took place and who was there. You have to go back to the 17th chapter and verse 20 in order to set the context of who was present and why the discussion took place. In verse 20, it simply says uh, that Jesus was once asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come to pass. Jesus' answer was a perplexing one for those of us who study the scriptures, and probably for them too. Because there's one word here that can be translated two different ways, and we don't know which way to translate it. Jesus said, you know, don't, don't look here, don't look there, because the kingdom of God is either within you, is one translation, or among you, is another translation. And both of them have theological merit. Within you, okay, is, if the Holy Spirit is within you, then God is, is, is ruling from within your life. The Holy Spirit's primary responsibility in our life is to be the primary influence in our life for the single purpose of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. Because the only Christ the world is ever going to see until Jesus comes again is the one they see in you and me. So the Holy Spirit creates the character qualities of Jesus in you or me, that's one, if it's within us. Number two is among you. The reason I lean toward the latter is because the church hadn't begun yet. These were Jews. And among the Jews, and before the resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit, there is no indication that the Spirit of God indwelled, rather that he went along beside you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit seems to come only after the church was begun, and that's on the day of Pentecost in the, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, because in the first chapter of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came as promised with the sound of a mighty rushing wind, so on and so forth. And so I, I don't lean in this text toward the indwelling. I lean toward among you. Why? Because Jesus was among them. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so he is among them. And, and he is the king of God's kingdom. Right? Say, uh-huh. Yeah, you got it. You got that right. So if, if, that, if, if I'm right here, and I don't know. So I lean toward the translation 
of among you. And probably, if you've got uh, NIV, you may even have a footnote there. So you need to circle the within and, and look at the footnote where it says among you and put KSR there as the preferred translation. You're slow, but you're there. Okay, now then. So Jesus, as the, as the king of his kingdom, because you remember when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate asked him, are you a king? Jesus said, yeah, I am. But I'm not in competition with you, because, see, his was a spiritual kingdom, not just a physical kingdom. In time, it, that may change. But, so you have to keep in mind that the subject being discussed here is not the ruler and riches, the subject being discussed is the kingdom of God and those who will have a dwelling place in God's eternal kingdom. Because you see, the Jews didn't go to heaven when they died. Even though they were godly, they didn't go to heaven when they died. They went to paradise. And they stayed in paradise until Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Then he took Captivity captive, Paul says, and led them into the presence of God because their sins weren't really paid for until Jesus died on the cross. They were just suspended year after year. The sentence was suspended each year on the Day of Atonement for another year. But when Jesus died and people put their faith in Jesus, where did Jesus go when he died? He went to paradise. What did he do in paradise? He said, guys, the day has come when you can go meet the Father. So this, this conversation took place before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. The Jews thought that if you were a Jew, you were in the kingdom of God. Just like sometimes we think if we belong to the church, we're in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is spelling out here is the two aren't synonymous. There are, you must become a Jew in, order, in the Old Testament in order to get to the kingdom, but not all Jews are a part of the kingdom. Even if you're born in Kentucky, you're not a part of the kingdom just because you're born in Kentucky. Close, but you didn't make it. And that's the same thing within the church. There's the visible church, and then there's the church that God has in his book. See, we don't put any emphasis here at all at Christ Community on church membership. Why? Because it doesn't mean anything as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Because you see, God keeps a set of books. And unless your name has been added in that book, you're lost. Now, why would that be the case? Well, from the very beginning that was true. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, Peter got to preach the first sermon. Jesus promised him that in the 16th chapter of Matthew. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of God. The keys to the kingdom of God is the gospel. The good news that Jesus is the Christ, been death, burial, resurrection. That's the gospel. And Peter, you get to tell him that. So he preached that first day, and, and, and thousands of people were baptized. Thousands of them. And then it says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So what happens here? 
You and I go by what we see physically. That's all we can do. You can't read my thoughts, and I, man, am I glad. <laughs> but God can. He can see our motives. He knows all about what's going on in here, in our heart. He knows. And he adds to the book because of what he sees, not what we see. The scripture actually says, man looks upon the outer appearance, God looks upon the heart. What is the heart? Spiritual heart. It's not the pump in the chest, that's a physical thing. It is your intellect, your conscience, your will. What's the other one, Rick? Your emotions. Good. I asked him this in a meeting the other day and he stumbled a bit. For which I was, I got to correct him. Isn't it great to look at the lead pastor and say, this is what it is. So, understanding now that the principle here of who can get in the kingdom is the subject under discussion when this young man, after Jesus is taught, comes up to him. Now, keep in mind this one thing. The kingdom of God has in Scripture a constitution and bylaws. The constitution and bylaws of the kingdom of God is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's really the constitution of the kingdom of God. So if you want to know the guidelines of the kingdom of God, you better read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. One of the tragedies of our day is that nobody reads our constitution. That's the reason people, politicians, can get away with all the stupid stuff they get away with. Because the people don't know the Constitution. I have for all of my life kept on my desk, and I took it off of my desk and, and, and have it in storage right now, but I've always kept a copy of the Constitution. Civics isn't even caught, taught anymore. So people don't know. So as this one guy who's an MIT professor says, the people are stupid, so we can do as we please. Well, I don't want you to be stupid about the nature of the kingdom of God. That's why we're here, to teach you. So this young fella comes, walks up to Jesus. Now the text. And he says, Good teacher, underline circle good. Very interesting. Because nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in any literature, anywhere in reference to the Christian, to, uh, among the Jews referring to any rabbi, is, it, is a rabbi, he would never tolerate the use of the word good in referring to himself. Because he said, Jesus told him, why, why do you call me good? I thought only God was good. Now, we, feel, we, we fiddle with that in the theological realm and say, well, he was God, so it was all right. No, Jesus was actually reprimanding him for idle flattery because that's what he was doing. He was flattering Jesus, manipulating. He was no dummy. So Jesus answered and said, no one is good except God alone. So quit calling me that. You know the commandments, Jesus said to this young fella. Do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the guy said, 
Heck, I've done all of that since I was a kid. Now, I understand that. Because actually, believe it or not, growing up, I had the reputation of being a really good kid. Now, you all know better. But that was my reputation. My middle brother, Chuck, was a hellraiser, and he was really good at it. And so I was compared to him, and when compared to him, I looked like St. Peter or somebody, you know, St. somebody or another. St. Scott sounds better. But that's not who you compare to. When you compare yourself to Jesus, you go, ooh, unpleasant. So this young man was a really a good kid. You know, I can tell you, I was a loner from the time I was 16 years old on through high school. I didn't run around with the guys that I played basketball with. They were ornery cusses, beer-drinking, hell-raising kids. And the reason I didn't run around with them, I did once. There was a bar outside of Augusta, Kentucky called the Bloody Bucket. You can see why I shouldn't have been there. I was driving a, a 31 Model A Ford because that's the only car that I knew how to drive, and I was only 15. Didn't have a license. But they took me along because I didn't drink. So I could drive. We went to the bucket. Neil Bromley, Tuffy Workman, Wiener Ellis, Chuck. Well, you can tell by the names it was an interesting crew. Dana Fagan was there. Anyway, Bromley was the center on our basketball team, and he was about six foot two and, you know, like Big John, little waist, just a real horse. And he liked to hit people. And, for not, and, and sitting in there in the back was our banker, and because and, and he was the state examiner for, to see if people had license to sell liquor and so on and so forth. So I went back and sat with him. And all of a sudden, Neil Brumley hit somebody, knocked him, and the guy sat on it, went over a table. The table turned over, and he actually went out the screen door. Now, the screen door was important because when you first go out the door, you had to take a hard right to get to the toilet. There was no indoor plumbing. Well, he wasn't capable of making a hard right. He went right on into the creek. And he hadn't been down there a minute, and I heard something go pop, pop. I know the sound of a gun when I hear it. I was a squirrel hunter. And I said to myself, Self, it's time to go. So I go and I get in my car. If they're there, fine. If they're not, they're fine. It's time to go. I started up my Model A. And the Model A is an interesting old Ford car. The metal in it is so strong that if you hit the fender with a ball-peen hammer, it wouldn't make a dent in it. And you had a running board about that wide on either side. And so I got in. And by the time I got there, there were two guys sitting on a fender, a couple hanging on the running board, and away I went. That was my last trip with them going anywhere. I became a loner because my reputation was a good one. I honored my father and my mother. I wasn't a womanizer. I didn't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew. And I quit running around with those who did. I know what it is to have a reputation of being a good person, and you're proud of it. 
The reason you are a good person is because it benefits you to be a good person. The teachers like you better. In fact, I'll tell you more about that later. So this young guy was in that category. He was really a good guy. And he was loaded financially. Now, the, the, the assumption was because of Old Testament Scripture and a lot of the preachers that you hear today, if you're loaded, it's because God has blessed you. Now, that isn't always true. A lot of crooks are rich. And it wasn't because God blessed them. It was because they were good thieves. Well, wasn't Willie Sutton, the old bank robber, used to say when they took him to finally caught him and took him before the judge? And the judge said, Willie... Why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. Crooks know where the money is, and they go get it. Now, how this young guy got it, I don't know. Probably inherited it. I don't know. So, Jesus said to him, you just lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, what is treasure in heaven? Treasure in heaven is what you do for other people with your resources. Lay up treasures in heaven. It is a fulfillment of what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts and your neighbors yourself. And, as, and, and if you don't use your resources for that, you don't have treasures in heaven. So Jesus said, go sell it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. Well, you may say, this is a hard saying, and it is, but that's what Jesus even tells us today. He says to you and to me about our resources, they're not yours. You're just a steward over what belongs to God. For instance, what do you do with the tithe? The tithe is actually a tax to sustain the kingdom of God. That's what the 10% really is. Now, what happens to you if you don't pay your taxes to Mr. Obama and uh, those other thieves up there? They come and get you with the IRS. And Ohio fits right into that because Cincinnati was where there's after guys like us. Now, God doesn't do it that way. He says, it'll only come when the judgment comes. You will be held accountable. Did you pay your taxes or didn't you? Did you use your resources to bless the poor? Because you see, you really don't want to go to heaven unless the treasures, you have some treasury there. You really don't. Because... Your heart is where your treasure is, the Bible says. What was it the old songwriter used to say? This world is not my home. I'm just traveling through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. This ain't your permanent home. This is temporary. And Jesus is saying to him, lay up your treasures Invest in that which is eternal. For what you have here is temporary. 
Jesus required those who were wanting to be his apostles later, or disciples, to sell everything they had so that there wasn't any competition with him over who was going to be the leader. Because there's spiritual power associated with money. That's why there is a God of things mentioned in the Bible called mammon. And, 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 and Jesus says, and the scripture is very clear, he said, you'll either serve mammon or you'll serve God. You, and you can't do it both at the same time. So choose, you've got to choose. Who's your God? How, and when you get my age and you start getting a retirement age, you really start holding on to things really tight. This guy comes on and tells are you going to be able to live the way you want to when you retire? I just want to live. Now, the reason I say that Jesus required this of those who listen to what we have. Jesus said, listen, guys, because there's spiritual power associated with the God of the mammon and things, it's harder, and he used a hyperbole here. A hyperbole is an exaggeration to help prove a point. He said it's more difficult for a camel to go through an eye for a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God because riches has spiritual power that controls people. And in the kingdom of God, those people are made up of people who see riches as a means of glorifying God and helping people. See the different attitude? This guy here was rich, but he wanted to use it for his own comfort. And we sure like to be comfortable, don't we? If it isn't comfortable in here, you know, people gripe around about, it's too cold. The women going through the middle change. You know, it's, you know, too hot. And the men sitting there, oh, Lord. So we get chairs with that much foam in them. Now I'm told we get it because I preach too long. And your butt gets tired and you have to have some padding. I'm not going any further with that. I just make the point here. Now, when Jesus' disciples, because who was there? There was the Pharisees who were always lurking in the background trying to give Jesus a hard time. There was Jesus himself. There were his disciples. And there's this young fellow here with all the money. But you see, the problem isn't the money. The problem is, where's his heart? He has a heart problem. His heart is on earth. And the comfort that money can bring him. And power and influence. Because money can do that. It has spiritual power. So he was, here was this guy that the Jews thought had been blessed by God and made him rich. And he was morally good. And so the disciples said to Jesus, if this guy can't go to heaven, who can now watch out here because we fall into the same category. I have had funerals for guys who weren't Christians. I really don't like to do it. But I do. Have through the years. 
And at the funeral or after it, you'd be surprised at the number of people who are trying to figure out how you can get this guy. He was a good guy. Everybody liked him. Good to his wife. You see, there are really good moral people who aren't Christians. But that won't cut it. Because like I was, I was a good kid because it benefited me. People liked me better, bragged on me, all that stuff that the ego likes to hear. I wasn't a good kid because I thought it was glorifying God. Oh, I wanted him in the game because I wanted him a cake and to eat it too. This young guy did too. But he was of the kind that, like the good moral guy at the funeral where everybody's trying to figure out how you're going to get him to heaven. And the disciples said, man, this guy's such a nice guy and been blessed of God. If he can't get to heaven, who can? That's exactly what they ask. Who then can be saved? And Jesus' answer was what we all know to be true. God can pull off what man can't do. Don't worry about it. This is God's ballgame. It's God's kingdom. He will pick and choose because he can read the hearts of people. It's only when you get to the place where you're really honest with yourself and say, look, I'm a selfish jerk. And I don't deserve all that God has blessed me with. And we're moved to ask God to forgive us for our selfishness. This guy was selfish and wanted to be comfortable, wanted to be well-liked, wanted to be prom. He was all about himself. And he was lost. You see, there wasn't anything wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with money. It's paper or whatever they make it out of. It's the heart of the individual who handles it that matters as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Peter said to him, look, because this is what Jesus was requiring of him, Peter said, Verse 28, we left all, everything we had to follow you. And they did. Gave up their incomes, lived off of a common purse that Judas took, carried around. He dipped into it every once in a while to buy him a lottery ticket probably or whatever. Because he was stealing from the purse, we find out later. But it was a common purse. and they, Because Jesus didn't want any competition from mammon. And you and I know that the biggest competition we have with Jesus is mammon or things. We're getting close to Christmas. I really don't like Christmas much, except for the food. Because it is so wrapped up into things rather than people. And Jesus is getting moved out further all of the time. So Jesus said, guys, this is the way it works. You may give up everything you have. You may live frugally. And we really should in order to use our resources then to bless. And I'm going to talk about, and I'm not following this outline on purpose because I want to get done here on time.
Jesus is saying, trust me, folks. And this is our big problem. We really don't trust him. He said, see, in, like I told you, the kingdom of God is something you have to consciously seek in order to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Why do I say that? Because the Constitution says so. Sixth chapter. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll help you with all those things you worry about. What do we worry about? We worry about things. Clothes, house to live in, money to go to the weenie world for a bite to eat, all that kind of stuff. We worry about that. And Jesus said, look, guys, if you use your resources to honor me and seek the kingdom of God above all other things, I'll take care of these needs for you. We said, well, we're kind of like Reagan, old Ronald Reagan. He said, trust but verify. We, 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 we trust you, Lord, but just in case we can't. And so we hold on to things tighter. Jesus said this, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much now and in the age to come. Seek the kingdom. I suspect if we took a poll here this morning, we would find out that not a single one of us all week long made a conscious effort to seek the kingdom of God. We're so wrapped up in this world and the things of this world that we have no treasure in heaven because we use it all for our own comfort, our own security. Older people my age have routinely sacrificed freedom for security. You younger ones, don't do that. Next to your salvation, there's nothing in this world more important than your freedom. Well, I got four or five amens. There's nothing in this world except your salvation that's more important than your freedom. Now you're catching on. Don't forget that. Politicians want to be elected by saying, we'll take care of you. What they're saying is, we want you to take care of us. But they reverse it because it sounds good. Now, let's see where I am here. Okay, let's go down to the joy of giving living. The joy of giving I stole that out of a book because I like the title. And let's read this text, verses 33 through 35. I have not coveted, Paul says, anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I want to talk about 
the blessings of a person who lives to give rather than lives to get. Because, you see, when you get to retirement age, there is a tendency to live to get rather than live. You know, I want to talk about um, and give you some illustrations from my own life of um, the joy of... Uh, get up there, Ralphie. The joy of, um, of giving a person whose heart has been touched by the Lord so that you are blessed when you give. The joy of giving. The joy, it's not just sharing. It's, it's a conscious effort to give somebody something that will bless their lives. Now, I had people, I've had so many in my life that I'm, I can honestly say I'm really a blessed human being. I told you about when I was a little boy probably 11 years old, I don't remember exactly, 10 or 11. Daddy allowed each one of us to have a little something or other on the farm that would be ours that we could sell and have the income from, and I had an old, an old red rooster. And I fed that rooster and got that sucker as fat as I could, and the time came when Dad said, okay, you need to sell it, because he was going to Maysville Brock Brothers Grain Company, to, and I took my old red rooster down there, and I, and I had, you know, his legs were tied, and I was carrying him in, and old red rooster in there, and here's an old man standing behind some scales, and he said, son, is that your rooster? And I said, yes, sir, that's my rooster. And he said, well, put him on the scales. So I put the, on the scales. He said, well, get on there with him. So I did. I got on it. So this old man paid me per pound for both me and the rooster. And I said, well, why did you do that? He said, because you said yes, sir, and you were mannerly. That old man then wrote a letter to my mom and dad, gave his credentials, gave references, and he literally adopted me. I got to go to Cincinnati on the train about once every six weeks with him. I, I met Hopalong Cassidy one time, old Bill Boyd riding Topper. I got to go to Cincinnati Ball. I actually got to see Jackie Robinson play at, at, at Crosley Field. He bought me my first bicycle. He bought me three, at least three or four cows. My first ball glove, it was a Rawlings. Good one. A whole bunch of stuff. He paid a lot of my college. He bought, helped me buy my first car, a 1953 Ford Victoria with sexy lights in the back seat that my wife was just so attracted to. <laughs> That's how I got her, guys. Get you a classic car. Women just go, oh, they won't see you, but they'll see the car, and that's all you care about. Get them in there with you. And the reason I know that she was attracted to that is Tommy Green from up here in Ohio came to Kentucky Christian, and he was driving the 1953 Ford Victoria, and she gave him a date. I know it was the car. <laughs> and, uh, but Mr. West, Mr. Alva West, poured his life, and I wasn't the only one, Another young man, he helped get into West Point. I mean, there was 
a dozen or more of them. He used his resources because he was never married, had one date. He was from down here close to Vanceburg, originally, Lewis County. But he used his resources just to bless people. I had a teacher. He was a World War II veteran. He was about six foot four or five, probably weighed 260. When he wasn't around, we referred to him as Pee Wee. His name was Pruitt Painter. Mr. Painter died just about a year ago. And he literally adopted me too. He was my teacher. He taught me civics. He taught first year algebra. He was the principal and he was my first coach in junior high. And he would pull me aside. I could tell you stories that are, would keep you here too long. He would pull me aside and say, Scott, you're the point guard. You're to be me on the floor. You're to think the way I think. You're to do what I would do, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He would spend time with me. When I went to high school in Brooksville, Mr. Painter went to Lexington and started his own business as a CPA, did really well, married, had a son. His son is an attorney and does some CPA work too in Indianapolis. His name is Scott Painter. Mr. Painter called me up uh, several months before he died. He said, this, this, you remember now that I named my boy after you. Be sure and go see him sometime. I've yet to do that. I have to do it. You see, when people invest in other people, they have a heart for other people. Those are the kind of people that God it brings into the kingdom of God. It has very little to do with just money. It has to do with the condition of the heart, right? Giving people. Alice Kay is really better at that than I am. You don't know this, and she doesn't even want me to tell it, but I tell a lot of things she doesn't want me to. She says she's sermon fodder. When we were over in, in Uganda, there was a girl there that she liked real well named Stella. I can't pronounce the African last name. And, and Alice Kay pulled her aside, and Stella wanted to go to college. Alice Kay's paying her way through college. She did it without my permission. <laughs> but that's okay. And when you're there and you can see, and I just wish I, there's a way that I could bring back to you so you can see what your investment in what we do over there, how, what a blessing it will be for you. Because, you know, you go in and you sit down up there if there was babies, and you sit down in a chair, and here they come to get on your lap. Now, the one that sat on my lap was an ornery one. They actually made a little movie about it. Jerry would sit on my lap. If somebody else was on my lap, he came over and pulled them off and climbed up and sat on my lap. And he would sit there and just really be a good kid because he was, shall we say, uh, an alpha male. And he pushed everybody around a little bit. But when he was on my lap, he was just a perfect child. And I think it was Mark or Virgie Hunter one says, What did you say to Jerry? I just told him, I said, Jerry, if you sit on my lap, 
you got to be a Jesus boy. I don't know what he thought a Jesus boy was, but I think it was, he thought it was a gotcha there somewhere. <laughs> but he sat and this was so good. And, but whenever you, whenever you see, when you invest in and you can see what a blessing it is to somebody else's life, that's what I call giving living. You are to let your light shine by being a blessing to other people and then God will be glorified. But you see, it, it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. You want to be a Jesus boy or a Jesus girl. But you can't have it both ways. You can't have Jesus and the world at the same time. You think you can, but you're just kidding yourself. Because the world has a God named Mammon, and the kingdom of God has a king named Jesus. You have to choose. He's fairer 
than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than the honey from out of the corn. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him Folks, don't forget, we need to stack the chairs, get them out of here, get the table set up. ASAP needs everybody's help. Put five in a stack, okay, if you would. Don't forget to be generous with those who are less fortunate than you. you could, you'll be a blessing to them. So God bless you. Stack the chairs. <laughs> 